0: Well, friends, I want to invite you for the first time in what, like almost four months now, to take your Bibles and turn over to the book of Acts. We're going to be back in Acts today. I think it was March 15th, the last Sunday we were supposed to be together, on which, a Sunday on which Seth Jones, one of our pastors here, uh, was all geared up to preach to you from the last section of Acts chapter 4. That was a time back before many of us ever heard terms like social distancing or flattened curves or contact tracing or these other words that have become our vocabulary of 2020. That was a long time ago. And I, for one, need a refresher to remember where we are, what we've been seeing in this book, and to get ready to hear from the the next step in our series from Seth next Sunday. So what we decided to do was to spend this first week that we're back together Again, recapping what we considered in the first part of the year. So we've made it almost through the first four chapters of Acts. We want to touch a little bit on each of the things that we've covered so far up to this point. Uh, Way back then when we were first starting out in this book, we talked about this book uh, that's known as the Acts of the Apostles as a story with a hero. It's not an unusual kind of book in its time. There were books like this in, the, in this ancient world, it, it fit a, ger, a genre, a kind of pattern, kind of like a novel or a comic book today, like the, or a textbook. These are different kinds of books that have different kinds of expectations, and 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 this one fit. So it's a book about a hero. But who's the hero in this book? We ask then. Who's this book really about? If it's supposed to be celebrating somebody's great acts, tracing them through history, who's the subject? The title is the Acts of the Apostles. That's for good reason. There's a lot of apostles in it, but, but it's really not about them. I mean, most of them get named at the beginning, and then you never hear of them again throughout the rest of the book. A couple of the guys, Peter and Paul, get a lot of face time, and they're worthy of a whole book. There, there's something heroic about the way that they serve Jesus against, against really strong odds and at the threat of their own lives. But, but those guys only get about half the book each. And even then, it's, it, most of what they say is deflecting attention away from themselves and, and onto the one who really is the hero of this book. Anytime those guys are talking, they're talking about Jesus. And the story of Acts is really the story of his work in the world. It follows a book written by the same man that told the story of Jesus' birth and his, his growth in his life, his teaching, his death, and then his resurrection. That was the book, uh, that, that, was the book that we know of as, as Luke's gospel, The first verse of of Acts, Luke's part two to his story says, in that first book, referring to to, to the, the gospel of Luke, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach. And what he's telling us there is that this second book, part two, is about what Jesus continues to do and to teach. It's still about Jesus. It's still teaching us who he is and what he's up to but now it's carrying us forward into the time in which we now still live, friends. We are still living in the time in which Jesus is doing what he began to do right here in, in the Acts of the Apostles. So I thought a way to, to get back into this story would be to simply ask, what is Jesus doing now? That's what the book's about. What is Jesus continuing to do? So a way to, to, to get back into the main themes we've already covered would be to, see, to, to just Look for what Luke has already told us about what Jesus is up to now. And that will set us up to see what he continues to do throughout the rest of the book. So that's my question for this morning. What is Jesus doing now? And I want to simply point you to four different things that we've seen in the first four chapters of Acts. I want to begin by reading from the first bit of action in this book. From uh, from Acts chapter 1 beginning in Uh, I'll pick up in verse 8 and read through verse 11. And as I do that, I want to ask you to stand with me one more time in honor of God's word as I read from Acts chapter 1. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus speaking says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. This is God's word. You could be seated. What is Jesus doing now? This first major event, gives us our first answer. First thing I want you to remember and to see for the first time if this book is new to you is that Jesus is right now ruling the world. Jesus is ruling the world. The, 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 the passage I've just read ends with the words of angels who appeared to the disciples as they watched Jesus leave their sight up into the, up into the clouds The words that the angels speak to them pick up on a theme that that Peter is about to preach on in the second chapter of Acts, which will be his, his first sermon. He comes out talking about the significance of what they just saw, of what these angels now point them towards. This Jesus has been taken up from you into heaven. These are loaded words. What may have at first looked to the disciples like the loss of their most beloved friend, like the eclipse of their only freshly renewed hopes, like the end of something wonderful and beautiful was actually a step towards everything that had been promised to them. When Jesus ascended from them into the sky, this was Jesus, the Messiah, the King, the anointed one taking his place on the throne of heaven. This is what Peter's gonna preach about in Acts chapter two. God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Here's where it happens. He's now sitting down at command central. He's now seated at the right hand of his father, ruling over everything that is. And friends, this this simple story and all the theological weight packed right into it has huge implications for the, what, the, what, the, what Acts is gonna tell us from here on out and for every single one of our lives. Uh, somebody's described the ascension, what we see play out right here, as, as kind of like the detonator for every bomb that is a gospel promise. It's a little bit of a violent image, doesn't work for everyone, but if you think about all the things promised, for, promised in the gospel as these different bombs that explode into the world, Jesus going to take his throne is the detonator that sets them all off, otherwise they lay dormant. Maybe a better image is somebody explained it as a kind of skeleton key that opens every lock. Every promise that's been made about what Jesus accomplished depends on him being on the throne of heaven to deliver on what he said he would do. All of our hope rests here that Jesus now rules the world. Let me just give you a couple examples of how relevant this promise is. It's from his throne in heaven that he can be with all of us all the time. See, when he was on earth, God the Son took on a human body that had every limitation that our human bodies have. In his human body, he could only be in one place at one time. And that was great for you if you happened to be one of the people on the ship that was tossed by the waves in the storm because having him next to you meant that he could speak a word and everything's calm and you're good to go. But if you ended up on that ship with, without Jesus nearby, well, that's a different story. When Jesus, when Jesus took his humanity with him to the throne room of the universe, he wasn't just moving from one place to another in our dimension. For instance, this, this boggles the mind. But this is the teaching of the Bible. He was actually jumping to another dimension altogether. The best analogy I've heard of it is that is that he's taken, on what, he's taken his seat in what's almost like the director's chair in a movie, where now he can see all of it, all the action, all the characters, everything that's happening from one spot where he directly intervenes in all of it. His hands are on all of it. So, so what looked at the time, like them losing access to Jesus' presence and the power and the comfort that came with it, was actually them gaining an access to his presence that they couldn't have imagined before a far greater access that extends even to me and to you today. He really is with us to the end of the age, just like he promised, because he sits now on his throne in heaven. Here's another one. On his throne in heaven, because Jesus has taken his seat there and now rules over the world, we have an advocate who knows exactly what we need and has all the power to help us. This is what Hebrews chapter four points us to. Hebrews chapter four, near the end of the chapter, verses 14 to 16, talks about Jesus taking his seat, passing through the heavens, what we just saw play out right here. But when when it applies it, it applies it to our prayer lives and our confidence living with his help in the world. Listen to this. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, all that is, is Acts chapter one, what we just read together. Let us hold fast our confession. For we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He took a human body with him and all the experiences he had as a human to the command center to get us the help that he knew we would need because he's been right where we are. So now we come with confidence to the throne of grace that we can receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Friends, there's a lot that we can do to help one another. I've seen beautiful evidence of that in your love for each each other in good times and in bad. But we also all know how short our reach really is. Whether you've been on the giving side of care and seen friends that you love going through things you can't understand and certainly don't have the power to solve, or been on the receiving end of care, of a support system that fell short, you know the limitations that restrict all of us in our attempt to give one another what we need moving through life. But but because Jesus sits on the throne of heaven, we have someone there who gets it. He knows what it's like. He knows exactly what we need, but who is also powerful beyond what anyone here will ever give us. Powerful to help and and give us exactly what we need. Jesus is ruling the world. That's real good news for us. Here's one more example of how. On this throne up in heaven, we have a redeemer who knows how to bring good out of evil. We have a redeemer who knows how to bring good out of evil. He's the one who rules this world. A real common theme in Acts, we've already seen a couple of times and we'll see more later, is the sovereignty of God over even the evil and suffering that plays out on earth. We've seen it in the way that the apostles talk about the death of Jesus. Preaching about that death, they're they're blaming those who crucified him. They were really responsible. What they'd done was evil, but they describe it as something that was done according to God's preordained plan it was on purpose he wasn't surprised by he came for it he was given over on purpose by the god who knows how to bring good out of terrible evil and even more than that the apostles keep reminding us over and over that this this man who died is not dead anymore he lives in a new body now he really did die but he's really now alive so in our own world of suffering and sorrow Something new has happened. Something unimaginable but true. A real human body has come back. And with his resurrection and now his ascension comes a promise that one day he will bring good even out of the broken lives we're living where we do things we wish we didn't do and suffer things we would never choose to suffer. His resurrection is a sign of what's coming. And because he sits on his throne, we can know now that one day all things will be made as new as his body. And that that's where we're headed because that's where he's taking us. And in the meantime, we can look at his once dead, now living body and know he's perfectly capable Even more, that he is absolutely committed to turning all darkness into light. Friends, I know it's easy to hear this first big claim that I'm making, that Jesus is right now ruling the world, that that's what Acts is about, and look around for like half an hour on Twitter and wonder why, if he's ruling everything already, he's doing such a terrible job of it. Why should I take comfort from the fact that he's ruling everything if the world still looks like this? And Acts is reminding us that we are a people who look at the resurrection as our index for what to expect from from the world. What we see now is not what will be. And from the darkness of those days in which Jesus lay in his tomb, the apostles thought there was no hope too. But he lives again now. And so the darkness we live with is not the final story. That's what Acts is about. This crucified and risen Jesus now sits on the throne of the universe. From that place, he rules the world and nobody can stop him. Now, there's a second thing we've seen in this, in this story so far. What is Jesus doing now Well, he's ruling the world? Thanks be to God, he rules the world, even today, even 2020. But we've also seen that Jesus is empowering the weak. That's number two. Jesus is empowering the weak. The next big event, so the first big event that happens in the story is Jesus goes up into heaven, takes his throne. Next big event that happens is after Jesus has gone up, he sends his spirit down. The very beginning of chapter two tells of a story that, had been, that, that, that was the fulfillment of a host of promises from the Old Testament. It's a story that shows us that that this king who rules the world, he's not one of those rulers who tries to aggregate power to himself so that he can flout it, so that he can exploit it, so so that he can get what he wants from everyone else. He is a king who shares his power with those that he rules over. John's gospel tells us of a conversation that Jesus had with his disciples just before he was arrested and killed. He told them he was about to leave them He knew this made them sad, but then he told them that it was actually better for them if he was to go, that they would actually be better off, that it was to their advantage for him to leave. This is what he says in John 16, verses six and seven. He says, speaking of of recognizing the sorrow that's filled in their heart, he says, "'Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. "'It is to your advantage that I go away. "'For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Friends, that's exactly what we're seeing play out in Acts 2. Jesus has gone, just like he said he would. And now Jesus has sent the helper, just like he said he would. It plays out at the very beginning of the chapter. It's on a, it happens on a day that we call Pentecost. Um, it was a feast of Israel that was set aside to commemorate God's goodness in the past. Now transformed for Christians into a, a time to celebrate the coming of God into their lives the disciples are gathered together praying. Jesus had told them to wait there until his spirit came. And then as they're there, they hear something that sounds like wind. They see something that, that looks like fire. And whatever it is, it's powerful. It grabs hold of them and, and, and gives them abilities they never had. In particular, they rush out into the streets speaking languages they'd never studied, languages that were heard by people from all over their part of the world. Languages that gave them what they needed to do what Jesus had told them to do, to, to, to witness to him and tell people who he is. Peter's sermon, later in this chapter, explains what's going on here. What he explains in, in, in is that, is that what, had promised, what had been promised in the prophets, that, that one day God would pour out his spirit on all of his people is happening right here. This is, is that that was promised. See, in the, in the Old Testament, God had given his law to his people. That was a gift. It showed them what he was like, what pleased him, what would be good for them and for their neighbors. But the law came only as a set of of requirements. It didn't come with any power to actually do anything. All that the law was remained outside of them. But the prophets promised that it wouldn't always be that way. That that, that one day, God would, would do something inside of them to change their hearts so they loved his ways, so that the law came not as a burden to carry, not as a whip to lash them, not as, not as an unattainable standard that, that, that stole their hope, but as, as a set of guidelines they could embrace for love, not from fear. In other words, what God promised through the promise of his spirit was that one day he would renew them from the inside out that they would become righteous from the inside out. I'm talking about the ascension of, of Jesus as this key that opens all the locks. You might think of the coming of the Spirit as the gift that opens all the gifts, that, that, that once he sends Jesus, it's like once Jesus rather has sent his Spirit, now we inside of ourselves have the faith we need to claim all the things that he's promised to make them ours, not just promises that stay out there, good for the taking, but to actually grab a hold of them, to actually bring them into our lives, to use them as our source of strength and hope and to orient our whole world around them. That's what the spirit gives us the ability to do. It makes it internal, not just external. Through this spirit, Jesus has given us eyes to see his beauty, to see the emptiness and ugliness of the world to see the hope of the inheritance he set aside for those who trust in him. He is, in other words, empowering the weak, making them different than what they were on their own. So, if you're especially frustrated today by how little progress you've made in your battle against sin, there's hope for you in this promise. If you're the one out there who is sick of repeating the same ugly habits, there's hope for you. If you're tired of trying one remedy after another, that maybe worked for a little while but then ultimately let you down, there's hope for you. If you're the one who believes that change is something that only happens for other people, people who have actual willpower, people who maybe haven't fallen as far as you have already, there's hope for you in what Acts is showing us. Jesus is empowering the weak by his power through this spirit that he's given. He is working a transformation in his people. Not some of them, but all of them. Yes, it's a process. No, you may not be close to finished yet. And you may not even today be able to see what he's doing. But this is more than a process, friends. This is also a promise. It's just not true what they say. They say past behavior is the best predictor of future behavior. That might be true if you were on your own. But God's Spirit indwelling every single one of His people is a radical intervention. And the best predictor of your future behavior is the beautiful and compelling righteousness of the one in whose image this spirit is remaking you right now. And you don't have to look any further than than Peter, right here in this book, right in what we've already considered. Near the end of Luke's gospel, Peter's the one denying Jesus. He denies him for fear to a slave girl who herself had no power, who just asked if he was one of this man's followers. In Acts chapter 3, Peter stands before the same council that condemned and had Jesus executed. And he stands there with boldness telling the truth about Jesus while they tell him to be quiet. Peter experienced the indwelling of a power he didn't have that night when he denied Jesus. And you can experience that power too. Jesus is empowering the weak. There's hope in that for us, friends. Jesus is also forgiving the guilty. For me, one of the most poignant and moving moments in Acts comes near the end of Peter's sermon uh, on, on Pentecost in Acts 2. The same basic moment gets repeated in Acts chapter 3. It's when Peter confronts his listeners, the, the people who've gathered around to hear his message. Uh, he confronts them with who Jesus is, tying what's happened to, to him back to what was promised in the Old Testament and, and then kind of confronting them Getting in their face with the gravity of what they did when they crucified this king. Listen to Acts chapter 2, or flip over if you will, to Acts chapter 2, verses 22 to 24. Peter's just quoted from Psalm 16, a psalm that was written by David, but that he's showing was really about Jesus and his resurrection. And he says then to them, men of Israel, hear these words. Then look at verses 31 to 36 where Peter drives it home. Speaking of David, he says, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ that he was not abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh see corruption. In other words, he didn't stay in that grave. This Jesus God raised up and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Then he concludes, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. The translation is straightforward. This man you rejected and literally ran out of the world now rules the world on the throne of heaven. You tried a coup and thought you'd pulled it off. You failed. He's back now. He's stronger than ever. And verse 37 shows they get the point. They're cut to the heart, we're told. And they say to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And what we should be thinking after what Peter has just said. the Appropriate response to this news would be to run for your lives or prepare to die or just go ahead and come get what you deserve. But look what he actually says. Verse 38, Peter said to them, Repent. Don't run away. Turn back. Come to him and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. And here's what you'll get for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. This is what Jesus is doing now, friends. Jesus is forgiving the guilty, even those whose hatred put him to death. That's the message of this sermon. It's the same message in Acts 3. It's the message they're going to take with them all over their part of the world, and it's a message that's offered to you today, too. This promise is for those who are far off. You are not further off than those who killed Jesus. He'll forgive you too. Your sins have not exhausted his mercy yet, and they never will. So repent, and you too will be forgiven. And you will be caught up in what sets us up for the rest of this book. The fourth thing Jesus is doing now Jesus is building his kingdom. And friends, that can include you. Much of the act story is the story of the message about Jesus, the one we're talking about here. The message of a crucified man come back to life now offering forgiveness, even to the ones who killed him. That message spreads all over the world. You can see these markers of the book. The word spread, the word spread. Chapter six, verse seven. And the word of God continued to increase. Chapter 12, verse 24. But the word of God increased and multiplied Chapter 19, verse 20. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. The story moves on as this message spreads because this kingdom that he's building doesn't come all at once. For now, yes, he rules the world, but not everybody knows about that. Not everyone knows what he's promised. Not everyone knows what he's going to do. And not everyone knows what they can experience from his kindness. So for now, what Acts is about is Jesus building his kingdom as the message of forgiveness goes out all around the world Uh, late last week uh, it was uh, the annual celebration of the juneteenth holiday the history of this holiday is is of the announcement of the the end of slavery in a place in texas where it had not been known yet the proclamation freeing the slaves was a couple years old at this point The war itself had been ended for months, but but there were pockets of the country where slavery continued despite the fact that now all were declared free. So Juneteenth celebrates the time when that message arrived here into this pocket where it was not known, and it was just read to these precious men and women who are now free. I think there's an analogy here to how God's kingdom is spreading here now. What we see in, in Acts, what Jesus is up to, is he's sending out his witnesses into the world to announce freedom to all who will repent and believe in him. Because some people just don't know that that's happened. They don't know that he's ruling the world. They don't know that that he has a place for them in his kingdom if they repent and believe. And so what we see playing out through this book is the mission we're given even now today. The mission of taking this message to everyone that we can reach. And then to giving the world a taste of what this kingdom looks like on the ground in real time in local churches that love one another in the name of Jesus with the love that he's loved them. Friends, one of the beautiful things about this book is that it helps us to see where we're going because this is our story too. And next week, I can't wait for the chance to get back into it. I wanna pray now that God will bless us and then we'll sing our final song for this morning. Father, we... We ask you to be with us as we continue our journey through this book because we wanna go where these men have gone and these men and and women, we wanna experience what they have experienced from your hand, not not just the presence of your spirit, not just the forgiveness of our sins, but also the, the power for witness to his name. We wanna see people all over our city and all over the world coming to faith in Christ, and we pray that you would help us through this story to be motivated and mobilized and equipped for the job you've given us. We thank you for Jesus and what he's doing now. We trust in him and him alone and pray to you now in his name, amen.